There is no growth in comfort and no comfort in growth. Business today typically values and promotes leaders for their subject expertise. Leaders who have command of the details and execute based on knowledge and experience are highly respected. However, to grow as a leader, you have to get out of your comfort zone. That means learning to lead without just being the expert. Learn to gain the trust and respect of a team that might know more than you do. Get comfortable with ambiguity and with not having all the information. Develop the skills and confidence to lead in a different way. Welcome to Out of the Comfort Zone. I'm Wanda Wallace, and today we're going to be talking about inspiration. You know that when you work for an inspiring leader, you know what a positive impact he or she has on you and everyone around us. Motivation is high, engagement is high, and the mood is infectious. However, we often say we need to be more inspiring, we need more inspiring leaders, but we don't actually really understand what I'm supposed to be doing in order to be inspirational. And it's hard, even if I work for somebody who's inspirational, we find it's very difficult to replicate that when you step up to take the leadership role. So what we want to talk about today is what is it that inspiring leaders do that makes them so inspiring? And therefore, how can you become more inspiring? And what's cool about this is my guest today, Dr. Elise Cortez. Elise Cortez has done some research on this. So we've got an incredible series of pieces to talk about what it takes to be an inspiring leader. So Elise is a speaker, consultant, coach, published author, radio show host, a development engagement catalyst, She has 20 years experience in human capital organizational transformation industry, and her purpose or her focus is on helping people around the world have more meaningful, productive connection with their work so that we feel more fulfillment, impactful results, and more meaningful work-life integration. Who could argue with that one? Elise, welcome to the show. Thank you, Wanda. It's so wonderful to be with you here. I am delighted. I'm really looking forward to this. I cannot tell you how many times a client at the C-suite level has said to me, Wanda, what we need is more inspirational leaders. And everyone would agree, but it's so difficult to understand what it is that creates that magic. magic. So I'm, I'm looking forward to hearing about it. So I see, let's start with a bit of the sad story. I see so many people in organizations who are at an all-time low in their careers. They're discouraged, bored, and sometimes even getting cynical. Is that a trend? And if so, what's happening that's making everybody so unhappy, disappointed, and uninspired? Yeah, what a great question to start off with, Wanda. And if we, we, we could probably go on just to this question for a couple hours, but we'll, we'll just start with the highlights. First, one thing I do want to say is just if you look at the Gallup organization, Wanda, I'm sure you've, you know who yeah. they are, yeah. as do many of our listeners. Um, they, they report that only 15% of the global workforce is fully engaged in their work, only 15 so to your point, so when I think about that, right, and we spend 40% of our lives engaged in work, whether that's ready, our school to get ready for, for work or it's the hours or the commute, it's 40% of our lives. And so right out of the gate, speaking of the sad story, if we're dragging ourselves through Monday through Friday, I think that's a really sad state of affairs and a really waste of a precious life. So you ask what's behind that? I, I think there's a, there's a few things. Um, one is that I think more and more people are becoming a little disenfranchised with the way the world of work is done today. A lot of organizations downsize, right size, reorg, and that gets really, really hard. 
And then, of course, just the sheer pace of, of global competition requires that people and organizations are doing more and more with less and less people and less resources. It's just, it's, it's fast and furious. And then one other thing I'll say, and I'd love for you to comment on what I'm saying here. I also think another part of it, Wanda, is to the point of your show, I think a lot of people are unwilling to go out of their comfort zone to go and pursue something that would be more fulfilling. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's a little bit easier to stay to what you know because, especially if I stay to my expertise, I'm valued by the organization. And, you know, I would trade this job for being the exact same job somewhere else. And I think people are unwilling to step out of that one. It's interesting. Um, the, an upcoming guest on a radio show for me is Elizabeth Doty. And Elizabeth has this notion that one of the things we do is we make all these promises and commitments that we actually can't fulfill. And so that inability to fulfill our commitments is adding stress. And I'll give you an example. I was with a client this week who cares deeply. She finds meaning in the quality of the work that she does. It gives her great satisfaction to know that she's done a good job on something. But given the pace and the number of things that she's in and things that she's being demanded to jump in and and act on without time to do quality, it's stressing her out. And it's just this sense, I feel like she said, I feel like I can't keep my commitments to people. Oh my goodness! What a what an important point. I, I I think that's absolutely spot on. Right. Of course, I agree with what she's saying, and I think there is a tendency for us as a as a society, or maybe even a globe, to overpromise and probably then underdeliver. And so, one of the things that I think is really important is for us to to get clear about what is it that will make us fulfilled and and satisfied in the work that we do, and then really look at what do we have to give up in order to be able to fulfill that. And that might mean that we have to give up a certain service standard or a certain client or something in order to be on that track to fulfill on the level that we want. Yeah, I think that's a really important one. And it's a hard conversation because no one seems to want to say no to anything. And especially <laughs> the people above you in the organization seem incapable of saying no and focus. <laughs> but it's an important part. Yeah, I, you know, there just there has to become a breaking point. So we've thrown around three words here in this conversation. One is engagement. Two is this notion of inspiration. And three is the sense of fulfillment. So let's take the word inspiration and drill down that one a little bit deeper, knowing that I'm going to come back to engagement and purpose and meaning and fulfillment in a moment. But inspiration. So is there anything special about the people or leaders that you've studied that are so inspiring? What's the secret ingredient for them? I think there's maybe two ways to answer that question, Wando. The first one is, and this is going to seem really, really simple once I actually say it, is very often those inspiring leaders, Wanda, are inspired themselves. Uh. <laughs> right? Think about that for just a second. Somebody who's inspired is irresistible. Think about the kid that you see him just playing out in the in the in the in the park and he's got his favorite ball and he's with his favorite friend and they're just having a, a great time. They're 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 emitting all this fantastic energy. Right? It's like that. So I think one thing that we can look at is if people can find a way to engage themselves in life to be inspired in the first place, that's that's more than half the battle. Um, the other part of it, too, though, I think, is that in so doing, it, they can then communicate and create a picture or a vision that people really want to walk into. I think that's the other piece of really, really being an inspirational leader. 
So you think? do you think it's essential that you have this big strategy roadmap of here's where we're going, or is it simpler than that? I think that's uh, that's important for a lot of people to be able to see the roadmap. But I think what's more important, really, is that the person, the leader himself or herself, is really turned on by what they're doing, you know, whatever their direction is. Um, you know, how when you think about it, Wanda, when we're with somebody that is really excited about what they're up to and they're sharing it and they're you're hanging on every word because they're so excited. Mm-hmm. That's the part of inspiration that I think people are missing. And what I find in the work that I do is that people are, are unwilling to let themselves be in that place because it's scary. It's you're being very authentic, very genuine, and sometimes you get so moved that you you can get to a, a tearful place and people are terrified of that. But when people can see us on that level, that's the kind of inspiration that really draws people in and says, wherever you're going, Wanda, I'm going with you. Yeah. It, it, you said it is infectious when somebody um, has that level, and the word used is energy, and I think that's a really important one. There's a sense of energy and commitment and enthusiasm and excitement that is contagious. I agree with you on that one. But you said also that people are unwilling to go to that place, and you said because they might be tearful. Why do you think we're so afraid of showing that much excitement? I think especially women in the workplace, it's been fascinating to do the work that I do, as women have been taught, especially professional women, that Oh my gosh, don't ever let your emotions so. Don't show when you're when you're gleeful, don't laugh too much and certainly don't cry in front of anybody at work. Yeah. And so when I do the work around inspirational leadership, I, part of it is to let people get to a place where they're moved because when we can share what moves us, that is what really enrolls and invites other people into the conversation. And I think part of it is that we've been really schooled not to show that at work, as I mentioned. And I also think, though, there's just this reticence. And I think it's a maybe it's a just maybe a maturity thing with time that we just uh, to be able to be authentic is scary. You know, you're, it's like being, if you will, naked in front of someone. Um, you know, that's a lot of yourself to show. And so I think it's very risky for people to be able to really show what's under the hood, if you will. Yeah. Yeah. yeah because if I actually show you what I really care about, what I really want to do, what I really, and you reject it, it's triply hard. Yes. It's hard enough at any rate. But if you say, no, I don't like that, then ugh, that's, that's painful. Let's go back to this notion about emotions for a minute, because like you, I believe women have been told that they should be show less emotion. In fact, what they're often told in the best of intentions is to be less emotional. Agreed. And that's different, though, than showing no emotion. And so it seems like a lot of women take that advice and turn it from wherever they are to zero. There's no volume in there. But if there's no emotion, I don't think you can connect with another human being. I completely agree with that, Wanda. In fact, uh, I've had a few guests on my show, which is also on on Voice America, um, talking about, well, actually, first, let me back up and say that they're they're psychologists by training, and they do psychological work or clinical work or counseling. And you know what they say is that the, the thing that people really crave most in life is meaningful connection with another human being. And when we don't have that, that's when we start to see mental illness and other problems and stress. And the way to the, the path to connection is through emotion. Yeah. I, I don't think it's possible without it. Uh, but then it's scary. Geez, that's really scary stuff. Because you know, And being out of control of the emotion is not a good thing. But showing the emotion is actually a really important thing under, under some levels of control. 
Um, I also find it interesting in my work with women that there's this belief that men do not cry. Mm. Every time I say that to a senior leader in a client, the leader just laughs in my face. they like, you, can, you must be kidding me. How can people actually believe that? Have you watched the men in this organization? They are nothing but a bundle of emotion. And I always turn to, um, you know, like sports teams. You just watch, we've just been watching the World Cup or yes. anyone. Rugby is one of my favorite ones. The emotion in the guys' faces as they're playing or as they're starting the game or as they're ending the game. I mean, some of them are sobbing uncontrollably. Um, it's, how can you say that men don't have emotions? That's a crazy thing. Yeah, I, it's funny that you bring up the World Cup, Wanda. I also have been really just taken with just watching all of the replays of, the, of the, the faces and the responses and the reactions. It's just gorgeous. And I have to share a really quick story, speaking of men yeah. crying. Um, when I was working, when I started to go to work for a firm called Insignium, it's a global management consulting company. Um, the reason I actually went to work for them, Wanda, is because I went to uh, an event that they were hosting. It was called their Executive Summit, where they invite many of their clients to come to a day of thought leadership. And then the two founding partners kick off the the, the event. And Nathan Rosenberg is one of the two founding partners. And he got up to speak to the crowd to invite them. And in looking across the crowd, he was moved to tears. And because he was just so appreciative that these people that had done business with them over the years, and they were here in this room with him that evening. At that moment, I decided I wanted to work for this company because if this is a man who can be so gallant and strong and elegant and beautiful and graceful in business and doesn't even think twice about shedding a tear in front of people, I'm like, that's for me. That's the kind of leader that I want to work for. Okay. All right. So let me take us back to our thread here because I agree with you. This whole notion that what we crave is meaningful connections with other people. That's what we want. That's Mm -hmm. part of what gives us inspiration and mental sanity as opposed to mental unhealthiness. And the emotions are how we connect. If there is no emotion, you will not connect. And take it all the way back to the notion of inspiration. To be inspirational, inspiring as a leader, I need to be committed and energized and excited about something and to show that to the rest of the world, which is a bit vulnerable and a bit scary. But that's how I get people on board. Yes, and what I what I do in my programs when I'm talking with leaders about how to develop and become more of an inspirational leader, one of the things I, I ask them to do is, would you just show up and pay attention to life? Because every moment there's something to pay attention to that will allow you to be taken aback. If you look at the, the word inspiration, it actually comes from the word inspire, which means to breathe. So literally when we're inspired, we're breathing life into something or something is breathing life into us when we're, when we're the ones inspired. And so I can tell you just looking around, I was on the plane coming back from one of my trips here last week and there was a woman sitting on the aisle seat. I was near the window. There was a little boy between us who was traveling by himself. And the woman next, woman sitting next to him, Wanda, she was so beautiful and lovely and kind to him that she moved me to tears. Okay. And that was an everyday example, right? Just right there inspired me to be a better human being. All right, so let's focus on this a bit. You've said that to be a more inspiring leader, there's two things. One is to be inspired myself. 
Mm-hmm. And then the second is in doing, create a picture or vision that I'm sharing what I am really inspired about and willing to open myself accordingly. So as you take leaders through the journey of becoming more inspirational, sort of what are the steps? You've talked about show up and pay attention to life. What else do you tell people to do? How do you go about helping them with this? Yeah, so the, another part of that whole piece of, of showing up and, and really being being inspired yourself is to notice that in others that you really appreciate. So part of that journey is also about really being able to become really good at acknowledging the value and contribution of other people around you, right? So that's a way of drawing out. They then are compelled to that and they feel seen, they feel, they feel heard, they feel special. And we know that for the most part, for most organizations, that the number one engagement driver is to be valued and appreciated somehow. So part of that journey is also getting really good at using your communication and specific words to really call out what is it that somebody is doing or being and the contribution that they're making along the way that really makes a difference to, to the organization, to the person, to the leader, et cetera. So that's part of the journey. Um, the other piece of the inspiration, though, that I think is really important to call out too, is is to is to get get in practice at being able to 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 do that really for yourself in a daily way. It's like it's like taking your daily vitamin. I brush my teeth every day. I take a shower every day, and I look for ways to be inspired every day. Okay. I love that because way too many people say to me, I just, I don't have time to think, let alone to think about what I might be inspired by or the vision or the strategy or so on. And I always say it's a daily habit. How do you help people do that as a daily habit? What are the tactics for tuning into the inspiration around me? Well, in some cases, and you work with a lot of executives as well, um, I think that I think one really great way to go about that is you put an actual calendar appointment in your diary and you say here at two o'clock in the afternoon on Wednesday and then three o'clock in the afternoon on Thursday, I'm going to take a moment and just look around and consider something, look for something that inspires me. So it actually, you actually put it into your daily practice that way. So it's not just something that you have to remember, it's on your calendar. That's one way to go about it. This fabulous Barbara Fredrickson, who's at University of North Carolina, Chapel Hill, and has done a bunch of work on positivity. And she says that one of the exercises I love from her is called Three Positive Things. And at the end of every day, you think of three concrete, very specific, positive things that happened that day, even down to there was no line at Starbucks coffee or whatever else it is that that was good for you in that day. And write it down and tell somebody about it. And I like this ocean of not just the positive, but to look for something that gives me inspiration, maybe even record it, but take a moment in the course of the week to notice it. All right. Any other tactics? I like that idea of, of writing down something every day like that. That's a brilliant idea. I've certainly heard of that in terms of gratitude, for sure. Um, I, I think also, too, the, the other piece is having other people share with you. So going and even asking other people, hey, what inspires you today? What is it? You know, what are you inspired by? It is really amazing when you listen to someone else and tell you what, what inspires them. That's another thing. I think another really great habit to include. I can imagine doing that with a team, too. You know, sort of a, a monthly or a weekly, what's inspired you this week? It's also great. Okay. You know what's what's great about that and uh, is that when you do that, you learn something about these people. You see them really to their core, to their soul. When you when you hear what inspires someone, you now have a line sight vision to their soul. Okay. So, Elise, it strikes me, you know, this notion of engagement, you said earlier that um, the number one driver for engagement is the sense of being valued. 
And as I look at so many people who don't feel they have a voice in the organization, they feel excluded or left out in some way. Sometimes that's driven by gender or ethnicity or race or, you know, just I'm different than everybody around me in a dozen different ways. It strikes me that if as a leader you took the moment to understand what inspired everyone on your team, we'd start to mitigate some of that feeling of um, not being included. Do you agree or do you think it wouldn't work? Absolutely, 180,000%, I agree. Well, I'm going <laughs> to add that to my practice on what I tell leaders to do. I'm, I am inspired now by this one. All right, so at least we're at the you know our usual break point, so we're going to take a break. When um, With me today is Dr. Elise Cortez. As you can tell, Elise is a speaker, consultant, coach, author, radio show host, and many, many more who's committed to helping people around the world have meaningful, productive connection to their work. We've been talking about the notion about being an inspired leader, and I will just summarize that there are a couple of things that make all the difference in the world. One is being inspired yourself because that creates energy that draws people to you. You can be more inspired by taking time to just pay attention to what inspires you in the world around you, to notice what you appreciate in others or value about them, and to um, put a calendar appointment or write about it or ask your team to share with you what has inspired them. All of that as a way to tune in to what is inspiring in you. Second part of this is then you have to have the courage to show that level of inspiration and emotion and everything that comes with it. But if you want people to be inspired and following you, that's mandatory. And then the final thing is to have a sense of a picture or a vision that you can communicate to people about where we're going, what we're trying to do, what this is all about in a way that also draws them to you and to the inspiration you can achieve. So when we come back, I want to talk about um, how you can find a better sense of meaning, purpose for yourself as a leader. We'll be right back. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. How is your work-life balance? In most businesses, no matter where you are positioned, there is always room for improvement. If you're an executive, learn insight about your business. Are you an employee? Learn how to better work with your team. Even if you're not in business, you can learn where your strengths and weaknesses can be played to their best potential. The Work-Life Balance with host Rick Morris can be heard live every Friday at 5 p.m. Eastern Time, 2 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. If you want more information on the articles, books, coaching, and seminars we offer, go to our website at www.leadershipforuminc.com. You're sure to find some helpful links, videos, and more to help you create a winning strategy for your organization. Leadership Forum, Inc., helping organizations get it and keep it. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. You are listening to Out of the Comfort Zone. To reach Dr. Wanda Wallace or her guest, call into the program at 1-866-472-5790. Again, that's 1-866-472-5790. You may also send an email to wanda.wallace at leadershipforuminc.com. Now, back to Out of the Comfort Zone. Welcome back. 
With me today is Elise Cortez. Elise is a speaker, consultant, coach, author, radio show host, and much, much more, a specialist in expertise in human capital and organizational transformation, and really deeply committed to helping people around the world have more meaningful and productive connection to their work. We've just been talking about the notion of being inspired yourself and being an inspiring leader and the need to have a sense of vision, um, per, uh, I'm going to use the word purpose, a place, that, something that you're trying to get people to go to. And I think that does give a sense of purpose. So I want to turn from that sense of a vision that you're communicating to people to this business of understanding a bit about your own sense of purpose and how it is that people can go about cultivating that sense of purpose. So at least what's the secret? How do you help people do this? You know, there's a few ways to go about it, and there's obviously I've, I've read and researched quite a bit of this topic myself, so there's a couple things I'll say first. One thing that I like to recommend to people, and I've certainly done this for myself, is to really go about the idea of, I hate to sound morbid, but you're, you're at your own funeral, mm-hmm. and you're looking back and sort of replaying the reel of your life, you know, what, what's, what's the end of that thing look like? What do you want to stand for? What do you want your life to stand for? I think that's a, a great place to start from. And once you have that clear in your mind, um, it gets pretty easy to start to see what you have to do to have in place if you go backwards in time to be able to make that happen. Um, so like for me, for example, what I really got clear about, Wanda, is that I I, I have really, always, I've, since I've started working, since I was like 13 years old for my parents in the restaurant business, work has been a central part of my life. It's important. It's not something that I have to do. It's something I get to do. And so for me, what I've come to realize is that um, that's what I want to, that's what I stand for for the rest of my life is helping people to be able to find that better, more magical, meaningful connection to their work, engage themselves more fully because it's, it lets them become their highest, best self when they do so, I believe. That's what, that's what I'm up to. So that okay. first thing of, right, so that first thing is you're at your own funeral and you, you, re, and you see, you know, what, what do you want that life to stand for? Another thing that's interesting that I that I also find if I peel back the layers in my own path to purpose, because I do know that I'm living my purpose, I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing, it took me a while to figure it out and for me to discover it. But what I finally figured out, Wanda, is that the way to discover purpose one way is to figure out what do you deeply, terribly need to learn yourself? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right? And what I yeah. needed to learn for myself was, you know, what is my purpose? What what is it? What do I what do I really want to contribute? What do I want my life to stand for? And once I really figured out that that's what it was, I recognized there was an itch across the globe that needed to that needed to be scratched in that way too. And so for me, that was that was part of my own path to purpose. Yeah. I, I do think that a lot of people in the world are looking for this sense of meaning. You know, wh- what am I doing? I'm working so hard. I'm putting so much energy. I'm sacrificing some relationships for doing all of this work. What's the meaning and value in it? And you, you can put a lot of words around that one. But at the end of the day, we often settle with the word purpose. What is it that gives me that sense of fulfillment and satisfaction with my life? So I think we are on a new quest now, you said it took you a while to understand your purpose. And um, just recently, Carol Dweck and colleague have released a new study that says that they find that people 
don't just suddenly wake up one day having discovered their purpose, that it descended on them like a vision, but that it takes a while and a good bit of work. It's a bit of a journey, and you have to get in, and you dig, and you get good at it, and you're not sure, and eventually pieces seem to come together. So do you find, I mean, which side of the fence do you sit on on this one? Do you think purpose just emerges suddenly, or it's a working in progress? I think for some people, it does emerge suddenly. They're the lucky few that we hear about that just sort of figured out early in life, you know, what they were about and how to make it work in the world. And, um, you know, I look at the research that I did where I interviewed 115 people after I finished my dissertation. And um, a few of them would say things like, you know, I was four years old and I would just go out into the backyard and look at the sky and watch the planes go by. And I knew I was a pilot. Four years old. That's amazing to me, right? And I was so jealous listening to these stories because just like Dweck and and company, um, mine unfolded over time. And I think really what happened for me, Wanda, is the divining rod, if you will, kind of just was working its way in my life. And when I got out of the way of that thing and let it do its real work and just sort of let – I almost think of it like the, the layers of person that we shroud ourselves with that gets in the way of our purpose or covers up our purpose. I feel like over time for me, what happened was those layers just got shed over time and my purpose unfolded in front of me. And then one day, not one day, maybe just over time, it just began to emerge and started to come out of my mouth differently. Yeah. Yeah, I see that one. Um, One of my former guests, Steve, has said and does a lot of work on this one, um, that if you it's all the messages that we carry around with us that our parents and school and everyone have said we should. You're supposed to be this. You should do this. You shouldn't do that. You should act this way. You should think this way. You should go into this profession. All that should stuff that when you shed those shoulds, diverse, the, get rid of those layers, as you said, that somewhere underneath there is a bit more of a grain that you can actually work with. So that's his view as well. My guess is people come to this in very different ways. I agree with that. And another way that I just read, I was I, I was on vacation in Australia and New Zealand recently, had a great time. And of course I took six books because I that's what I do when I when I vacation and I'm on the plane. And I read a book by Jeff Goins. It's called The Art of Work, A Proven Path to Discovering What You Are Meant to Do. And what he says in that, one of his suggestions to finding purpose is he says, go back and catalog all the meaningful events in your life from as far back as you can remember. Write them all down and then look and see if you can see a pattern there among them. Is there any kind of a thread there that shows up? Um, I did that, of course. Now, mind you, I, I haven't given that enough work, but I think that's an interesting idea to see if you can start to thread together, is there anything about that particular set of events that seems to hang together in a particular way? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, often, what, at least for me, I find that when I have, the, when I've discovered what it is, I want to articulate as my sense of purpose. I can go back in my life and see the threads, but I can't always see the threads until I know what the destination is. So I, I, I can see how that could be a useful tool. It's also got some challenges with it as well. Okay, so we got three. You know, what do I want my life to stand for at the end of the day? Um, the kind of letting, for some people, it emerges, so it can take some time. For some people, it's instantaneous. There's this notion of cataloging the meaningful events in life and looking back. Are there any other tips for figuring out what your purpose is? There's one other that I think is going to be probably laughable, if you'll indulge me, Wanda. Okay. Um, it's 
ready for this? Drum well, please. Um, uh-huh. Ask other people who know you. <laughs> um, <laughs> right? Because it, I, what I find fascinating is that we we kid ourselves a lot. So and maybe it goes back to what you said before about the shoulds. I should be this. I should do that. Um, yet, though, the way that we show up in life is sometimes just so innate to us. It's just who we are. Um, I, I did something some time ago. I was taking a course, and they asked us to go out in the community, the people we knew, and in, in interview them about what were our strengths, our weaknesses, et cetera, and kind of what they thought we stood for. And every single one of the people I interviewed, all five of them said, Elise, you're all about empowering and inspiring people. That's what you do. That's who you are. It's true. That's absolutely true, right? And I don't necessarily describe myself that way. I do now, but this was some time ago. But it was blatantly obvious to them. Okay. I think that's true. I mean, I think about friends that I have watched over the years struggle with their sense of meaning and so on in life. And to me, you can see some threads for them. And one of my friends in particular has just sort of now discovered where it is that she wants to go in the rest of her life and is doing a fabulous job. And I look back at it and say, but that is makes so much sense because it was so clear from the beginning that this is something you wanted to do. I'm not sure I could have articulated it quite that way, but still I think friends can help a whole lot. Okay, so... If we do this journey here as individuals, and for some of us it'll be fast, and for some of us it may take a while and a lot of effort, what's the payoff? Why is it worth it? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, it's worth it because one, it gives us it gives us a place to stand from. It gives us a place to to be from, if you will, and and that has going back to our earlier conversation. It gives an energy that we absolutely need to get through life, to get through the day, to get through the task, and whatever it is that that purpose is is aimed at. And so that's that whole piece piece of being able to sort of be anchored by that purpose is incredibly useful. Um, and and it, it allows you to persevere through obstacles, struggles, setbacks, um, when people say, no, I don't want that, whatever it is. So that's the, that's the biggest payoff. The second part of it, though, goes back to what our earlier conversation about the inspirational leader. When we really work from a place of purpose, we are often incredibly inspiring to other people. And they want to come along with us, or they at least want to hang out with us. So there's the piece that you're probably not going to be by yourself if you're living in you live in your purpose or working from your purpose. Uh, people will want to come on the ride with you. So those are the two major things that I would say are incredibly good reasons to go out looking for purpose. Yeah. I've been converted to this whole thing. I can't say that it was part of my mission all along, but I can say that I have been studying this whole sense of purpose most recently and in that journey trying to find what my own purpose is. And I can say absolutely, totally, as I watch people describe what gives them meaning in their lives and in their work lives in particular, it, and especially if they can do that in terms of telling the story, why is this important to me? What is it that led me to this place and why do I care about it? You can watch every audience everywhere in the world just relate and connect in a palpable way. So I believe you that that really makes for inspiration. It does. And in fact, was one other thing that I was going to say when you ask about what are the ways that we can cultivate mm-hmm. um, purpose or go looking for it. Um, another thing that I like to tell my my audience is is that 
you can look for the kinds of things that just really just jazz you. You know, what is it that you just can't not pay attention to or pour, pour yourself into? And the other side of that is, if you don't, if if you can't find something that you actually love and are passionate about, what's something that you hate or want to eradicate <laughs> from the planet? Right. That's another right. way to look at it. That's a great way to say it. So, what is it that I love? What am I really drawn to? But what am I rejecting? I get that. I hate it. I want to get rid of it. That's a great way to think about it. All right, parallels. I'm going to do one more parallel for you. That is, you know, this sense of, you said that if you have this sense of purpose, that it gives you energy and it keeps you anchored. And it's just incredibly useful and allows you to persevere through obstacles. When we look at elite athletes, so Stu Wilkinson was a guest a couple of weeks ago and talked about what it is to train and get an elite athlete ready for an Olympic performance. And part of that is they have to have a sense of purpose. Why am I doing this? And the purpose that matters cannot be because my parents want me to or my coach wants me to or because I want to win. Because Stu will say you lose more than you win when you're a world-class athlete. So it's that sense of why am I doing this for the purpose that allows people to persevere through injuries and through losses and through disappointments and setbacks. So, yeah, from another field, we get the same information coming back about how important it is to have your own sense of why I'm doing what I'm doing. What's the purpose? You know, to that, and you reminded me of something really important about purpose that I forgot to mention, Wanda, and that is another key component for purpose for a lot of people is that the direction on which it's it's focused, you're serving something other than yourself. Mm-hmm. In other words, as to your point, you're not you're not an athlete because you want to win this particular game. You're maybe it's you want to win for the team or you want to represent your community well or whatever it is. But the point about purpose that's really important too is that oftentimes for it to be really, really powerful and effective is its aim is to serve a, a, a greater good or a greater group. Right. Greater good. Yeah, the, I agree. It serve a greater purpose. It's not just for me, but something beyond me. It's something else above and beyond my immediate um Personal needs, shall we say. Mm-hmm. All right, Elise, there's a lot of tips in here. <clears throat> Let me see if I can try to do some sense of summary from this one. If I take the starting place is how do I become a more inspirational leader? And I admit that part of what I need to do is to be inspired myself. <clears throat> and I can be inspired myself because I look around me, because I find what I'm excited and passionate about, because I have my own sense of purpose that gives me energy and my willingness to share that with people and understand what it is I'm about. If that's the case, excuse me, then we have several ways to go about thinking about understanding, uncovering what your purpose might be, sense of meaning of fulfillment in your life. So as you rightly said, it's something other than yourself. So serving, who are you trying to serve is the great question to ask. For some of us, we'll be lucky enough that we'll just, we will have known it all along. And for others, if we have to do a little digging, either thinking about what we want our life to stand for at the end of the day, Um, to look at the catalog of events in our life and ask, you know, what's the thread there, to ask people to tell us about it, Um, or (coughs) any number of other ways. Look at what inspires you, what jazzes you, and also to look at what you hate. I think I've captured them all, Elise. I think you did great. All right. So we're going to take a break again. When we come back, I want to talk about this third word that we've been bouncing around. So we've been talking about inspiration. We've been talking about purpose. And now I want to talk about engagement. And in particular, I want to hear a bit about Elise's research on engagement and the drivers for engagement. We'll be right back. <laughs> 
Follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. If you want more information on the articles, books, coaching, and seminars we offer, go to our website at www.leadershipforuminc.com. You're sure to find some helpful links, videos, and more to help you create a winning strategy for your organization. Leadership Forum, Inc., helping organizations get it and keep it. Tune in to the soul of enterprise, business in the knowledge economy with co-hosts Ron Baker and Ed Kless. Ron and Ed will show you how to recognize that wealth is created by intellectual capital. It's all in the possibilities that we can create and that are created for us. These possibilities are destined to be discovered by human imagination and through the service of others, creating a brighter future for all of us. The Soul of Enterprise is heard live every Friday at 1 p.m. Pacific Time, 4 p.m. Eastern on the Voice America Business Channel and simulcast at the same time on the Voice America Variety Channel. The business community's first choice in Internet talk radio, Voice America Business Network. You are listening to Out of the Comfort Zone. To reach Dr. Wanda Wallace or her guest, call into the program at 1-866-472-5790. Again, that's 1-866-472-5790. You may also send an email to wanda.wallace at leadershipforuminc.com. Now, back to Out of the Comfort Zone. Welcome back. With me today is Elise Cortez, who's a speaker, consultant, coach, author, radio show, development engagement catalyst, um, human capital organizational transformation specialist. I feel like I need to add five more um, accolades to your name there, Elise. We've been talking about inspiration and particularly Elise's work around what makes for inspirational leaders. And the first piece is about being inspired yourself. And I think the key cornerstone in that one is making sure that you tune into what inspires you and notice also what inspires others around you, particularly on your team. Second part is to make sure you have some sense of where we are going. And one part in the where we are going is what is it that gives a meaning and purpose to your own work life. We've been talking about several ways to do that. Now we turn to the elusive third word, which is engagement. How do we get other people engaged? At least you have some fabulous research. Tell us what you've learned. Yes, it's it's just, I, I, I love it. It's just yummy. So let me first give it just a little bit of context about why I studied this stuff in the first place. Um, about, I guess it was exactly 20 years ago when I was just getting into the human capital space and I was actually um, doing recruiting in the information technology space. And I saw all these people doing this amazing work that I thought was really interesting. I mean, they were changing the way we practice healthcare. They were changing how we communicated. They were changing how we got around in terms of transportation. And I thought it was really great. And I have zero technical talent. So I had a lot of admiration. And so I began asking a few of them, you know, what is it? What does your work mean to you? And uh, I had one guy said to me, he said, at least it doesn't matter what kind of work I do. I'm going to do work in accordance with my value, which is all about bringing out the best in people. I don't care if I'm constructing houses, cleaning toilets or whatever. That's what I'm going to do. And then another gentleman said to me, he said, 
I got into information technology because I thought it would have the second greatest impact on mankind, second only to fire. Wow. <laughs> and I thought, wow, you know, so on the one hand, this one person was clearly expressing himself through his work. And on the other hand, this person was being informed by his work. He was bigger because of his work. And I thought, wow, that's a really big spectrum. I wonder what it's like for people. So that's what got me in the space of investigating this stuff, the meaning part of work, Mm -hmm. which then um, accidentally got me into engagement. Because what I began to find is that people, of course, find different things meaningful. And what I also found is that you can look at that directionality of work, if you will, want to think about that whole thing of somebody expressing themselves onto the work and also being informed by the work, right? Um, in between that is when work just fits who we are. It's just, you know, it's hand in glove or it's inseparable to who we are, which is when we're probably living our purpose. So I looked at that kind of stuff. And then I also looked at how important is the work to who you are as a human being? Is it really important or, or not important mm-hmm. at all? And then I began looking at, okay, so when they began telling me about what is it that they found meaningful, I I developed a coding scheme around that. I think I had like 334 individual codes for meaning in my research. And what I could start to tell, Wanda, is that people people had a, a, there was a spectrum. You can kind of look at it along like the Maslow hierarchy, if you will, where you could have like work had like an element of, it, it gave security, right? It put a roof over my head or I got to use my hands. And so that's, you know, more of the physicality in the, in the security level. And then when going up in terms of the, the hierarchy, get into the emotional place, I feel connected. I like who I work with. I relate who, to who I work with. Um, and then, you know, the appreciation piece, I'm, I'm appreciated at work. And then getting a little further up higher, and there you get into the achievement piece and the challenge piece. Those, again, go higher up in the, the meaning hierarchy. And then you get into, um, like, the values place where people are starting to feel like they're living and working and expressing their values. Um, and then you, further on, you get up into the purpose. And beyond that is transcendence where people are actually, their work is to, they see their work as connecting other people to a higher power. Think of priests and rabbis and things like that. So what I began to notice in my research is I found 15 modes of engagement and I began to notice that there was a connection and that the more meaningful the work was, the more it generally called into the higher part of that hierarchy. The less meaningful it was on the lesser end of the hierarchy. And the more of the work that the person put into them, the more of... of, of um, how that person put themselves into their work, whether it was a fit or inseparable, also indicated its strength of engagement. Does that make sense? Wow. Okay. So that the strength of engagement is driven by how much I put myself into the work. That makes a lot of sense to me. Yes. And to what level? What level am I activating in that meaning hierarchy? So the higher level of, of, of meaning activation in the hierarchy. And then generally speaking, what would happen, I think really what happens maybe by osmosis or automatically is that, that the higher up that you get in that, it seems to already take more of the person you know, to, in order to be able to connect on that level. Okay. All right. So in this hierarchy that we go from um, security to emotions and feeling connected to achievement and challenge to values to purpose to transcendence in the classic Maslow's hierarchy, the higher I find my work takes me in that hierarchy, the more I put myself into that work. And the more I put myself into the work, the stronger the engagement. Yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. Beautiful. Okay. 
All right. Makes tons of sense. So when you classified people's engagements, you said you found 15 modes. Say a little bit about what those were. What are the differences between those? Yeah. So let me let me start with the bottom one. And it, it, and it was and if I can, in so doing, I'm going to tell you a little bit of a story. So that the yeah. very last one, the most, um, you know, it's important to recognize as you started the show that there are a lot of people who are not engaged. Their work isn't meaningful to them. And, um, of course, I found that. And work can actually take away from our sense of self or be detached from our sense of self. But the very bottom um, bottom of the wrong mode that I found is what I call existential crisis. Okay. <laughs> it's not a good place to be. And I, would, I don't know what percentage of the population out there is experiencing that, but I have experienced it myself over time personally. It's awful. But it's that place where... Work is so miserable for you, and it's so either debilitating or frustrating, or um, and 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 you feel stuck in it. You feel like you have to be there, and it's taking away from a positive sense of self of yourself. Mm-hmm. So, um, I one of the people that I interviewed was is a, is a chef, and he when during the course of our interview, he cried no less than five or six different times. Wanda, okay. All right. And he was just in a really miserable place. He felt very trapped in his work. He felt like, you know, I can't get another job. I have to stay here because it pays me good money. And I I owe my, you know, I have to pay child support. And, you know, my family is counting on this. The hours are terrible. I hate my boss. He's a real jerk. I mean, that there were just all these different factors that came into play. And he goes, and I don't like who I'm being here. I feel like I'm not doing and being what I should be. Mm-hmm. So, you know, part of my research design, Wanda, is that I would I came up with these 15 modes and then I would then share back with the original person who I interviewed, here's the mode that I believe you're exhibiting and here's why. You tell me if you agree or disagree and um, do you think that since we've had the interview, say six, seven months ago, that anything has changed? Okay. Well, I, I called up this chef with the results. I, I'd sent them on. Of course, part of it is that they get their, their interview transcript to review, and then they come back with the results. And I was really, really not looking forward to this phone call with this guy, because who wants to tell somebody, look, you're an existential crisis? Yeah, right. <laughs> right? <laughs> I think you're an existential crisis. So I, I, I managed, I, I, sent him, I sent him the results ahead of time. Why do you, you know, here's what I think, and let's have the call. We get on the call, and he goes, hey, Lisa, I've been so looking forward to talking to you. Great news. I'm all the way up into conflicted fit, which is one of my other <laughs> one of my other modes. Like you know, six above that, he he'd actually you know found a way to 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 rise up in terms of engagement. I said, well, wow, that's amazing. So first, you agree that you're you're in the mode that I I called for. He says, yes, absolutely. He said, but you know what happened was, I mean, he said, I'm I've got the same job, I've got the same crappy boss, I'm doing the same hours. But the difference is, is that after you interviewed me, I, I shared with my wife the transcript of our interview and my mother, and neither one of them knew how badly I felt and how alone I felt. And just in sharing that, it opened up something for me and gave me a new place to look at my life from and my work from. And now I look at my work as, wow, I make pretty good money. And, you know, I've got a pretty cool job and I'm able to send my kids to college. And so it's that whole thing of we're in charge of this ability to 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 find the meaning and the purpose. So, you know, the the conflicted fit is like I guess it would be probably like number four, uh, number eleven on the list. But that's another example of I'm doing the right kind of work, but in the wrong environment or for the wrong person. Right. Right. I love that. I love right. that one. Right. Right. And and so, sorry. Did you want to say something else? About no. That? Go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah. Okay. 
So you can see I get just a little excited about this. But what was cool about doing this research, and it was a long, lengthy process, is these 15 different modes, they're mutable, Wanda. Any one of us can experience these. And when I share them with audiences, people are like, wait, wait just a sec. There's another way besides the way I experience work to actually find your work meaningful? I had no idea. So another one that is is also kind of interesting is, especially for the work that you and I do together in, in organizations, I call it generally impacting the organization. And this is where really you see a lot of professional leaders really doing the work of leading their team within the organization for the organization's purpose. Mm-hmm. So, And they find me- that's meaningful to them. It's not, it's not um, so it's more of like a medium to a medium high level of importance for their identity. Mm-hmm. Whereas... Um, the existential crisis is, you know, the work is also really, really important to who they are because it detracts from who they are. So you think about right. the import to the identity. Okay. Um, another one that's really interesting, and this is where I was for a lot of years before I, I really found my purpose because I did this research, uh, the original research, I did this um, 13 years ago. Um, it's the, the mode that I call self-actualizing. And that is a mode of engagement, Wanda, where people are intentionally using their work to become more of who they believe they think they can become. It's a vehicle for them to de- to develop. So it's this intentional striving that they have to become. And I always said for years, I'd like to be living my purpose as a mode of engagement, but I'm not there yet. And so one day, it was really interesting, I was speaking to an audience and I said, and I said, wow, and, you know, I said, I'm, I'm now living my purpose. And I stopped myself, Wanda, because I realized those words had come out of my mouth and I didn't know them. They were there. <laughs> it was just, right. it was arresting. It was wonderful. Um, another mode that I found that's really interesting is what I call challenging cognitive resonance. And this, this is for the people who really need to, to use their intellect in their work. They need to use their noggin. Um, and that use of that challenge, that cognition is really meaningful to them. And so not super surprising, I, I actually interviewed um, engineers and scientists who f- fell into that camp. Um, a couple of people I interviewed were working on the Human Genome Project, if you can possibly imagine. Mm-hmm. Anyway, so those are a couple of examples of some of the modes that I came in. Those people, it's the work is pretty important to who they are. Okay. All right. So down at the bottom, if I can just summarize this, we have this notion that the work has meaning only because it takes away from who I am and from what I want to be doing. All the way at the top are the different ways in which the work adds meaning to me and therefore I'm engaged with it. So I like this thing that some people care about impact in the organization and we often find those in leadership roles. Some people care about becoming the best that they can become, which is the self-actualizing one. And some care about this cognitive challenge, you said challenging cognitive resonance, that sense of using my intellect to solve a problem, uncover something, learn something along the way. Fascinating. And just by interviewing people, you can kind of classify them into one of these 15 modes and how they engage with the work that they're doing. Did I get there straight? Yes. And when I share the list of 15 modes, people can usually pick out pretty readily which one they're experiencing today. Okay. Okay. And then it's also possible to transform one to the other by changing how I think. Yeah, or changing your environment or, you know, changing your job even. Great. All right. And with that one, I have to leave that as a cliffhanger. So... (laughs) What a wonderful tease for people to begin to think, where am I in these 15 modes? 
And what would it take for me to shift from one to a different one? So with me today is Elise Cortez. Um, Elise, as we've said already, is a speaker, consultant, coach, author, radio show host, and whole loads of other things. She's done some fabulous work as we've been talking about, about what it takes to be inspirational as a leader. And that comes down to a sense of purpose and meaning, um, connecting with the work and engaging with the work. Elise, thank you for being on the show. Thank you for having me, Wanda. It's been wonderful. It's a pleasure. Absolute pleasure. Elise, if someone wanted to be in touch with you, what's the best way to reach you? Go to my website. It's elisecortez.com. Okay. Fabulous. Thanks again. And join us next week for yet another episode in how you can get yourself out of your own comfort zone. Thank you for joining us for Out of the Comfort Zone. Tune in again for another edition with Dr. Wanda Wallace next Friday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time and 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Reach outside your comfort zone this week.